From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker, editor of the CQ Budget Newsletter. And joining me today is Peter Cohn, CQ Roll Call's budget and tax editor. Thanks for being here again, Pete. Thanks for having me. And we've got a lot to talk about because it could be a big week on Capitol Hill, and that's not just because of the impeachment hearings. Congress needs to pass a stopgap funding measure by Thursday to avoid another government shutdown, and there could be a deal on spending allocations for all the delayed appropriations bills that are needed for the current fiscal year, which is now already seven weeks old. So, Pete, remind us again, what's, what's the crux of this fight over the spending allocations? Where do, where do we think it stands right now? Yeah, that's right, David. So this week is is the week. That's right. They have to pass a uh, a continuing resolution, the stopgap measure that you that you talked about right. earlier. It seems like everybody's on board, including, fingers crossed, President Donald Trump. Right. Uh, it's seems a big to, unknown here. All of his you know lieutenants are saying that he's going to. Many many people are saying the yeah. president is going to sign the CR. Although of course you never know. Uh, until the president actually does that. But and all that in, gives them until December. Until December 20th, 20th, right. So they'll be able to wrap that up this week, go home for Thanksgiving, gorge themselves on on, on some turkey and stuffing, and then uh, come back and, and try to stuff a mammoth spending package full of uh, of, of federal dollars for uh, about $1.4 trillion in fiscal 2020. They're going to try to put that together. I think they're going to try to... to Put that in a couple of different pieces. That at least they say they are, so they can avoid the uh, the dreaded omnibus bill, which uh, all sides agree is is uh, is not the thing they want to do anymore. They might kind of break that up into a couple of these mini packages. Yeah. Um, but that's kind of where we are, and you know the the, the crux of it right now is uh, how do you get from uh, the kind of when they get back from Thanksgiving to December twentieth? How do you get all of that done? Because they have not passed any of the dozen fiscal 2020 spending bills yet. And right. so- you And know, to get that done, yeah. uh, they need to, to set these allocations for all their 12 bills. Right. And, and they've set a deadline for this Wednesday, supposedly, for getting a deal on these allocations, right? Yeah. So that doesn't give us much time here to get- to, to well, work that out I, I if think, they make their deadline. Yeah. I mean, they all, all sides know kind of what the operating sets of numbers are. Um, so, you know, they, they've now they brought in Steve Mnuchin, the secretary of the Treasury, who was very helpful in getting the deal done back in right. July, which gave them kind of the basic sets of numbers that, that they're working off now. So I, there's a, there's a sort of a, a there's a certain confidence level among the House and the Senate and the White House that they're going to be able to get that deal on the spending allocations. Now, the big problem has been in the Senate because the Senate Republicans wrote their bills to the the numbers in the July budget deal. But those numbers were dramatically below what the House had had set aside in their bills because the House bills written by the Democrats were written before the budget deal, for the most part, in, in July. And they would bust these spending limits. Yeah, right. So they had so that so they have to kind of temper their expectations on primarily on the non-defense side. Right. Now, even when the Senate Republicans hit those numbers in in their bills, they they sort of uh, the allocations that they that they approved gave too much money to things that the Democrats didn't think were, were, were their top priorities and wanted to see more money to, to go to those programs. So, for example, Department of Homeland Security uh, got a, a big chunk of the allocation. So did the Energy and Water Spending Bill, which, ha- which has the Army Corps of Engineers, 
uh, all the the, uh, the the nuclear apparatus of the, of the United States. These are programs that that are uh, important on both sides of the aisle. But the Republicans in the Senate place a special emphasis on those programs. And of course, the the Homeland Security bill funds the wall, and the wall is you know since day one that's been the, the president's big obstacle. that's been the big obstacle that's been the president's kind of his signature uh, program and the Senate Republicans have been trying to accommodate him and so that's where the fight is is the Democrats have been saying can we take some of that money away from homeland security maybe a little bit away from the the core of engineers and can we move all that money over to for example the labor HHS education bill which is the biggest kind of domestic spending social services bill. Uh, and, you know, the Democrats have been calling it the people's bill for many years now. That's clearly their kind of their uh, right. uh, calling card. So that's the crux of the fight. And the question is, can they reach a deal on that without resolving funding for the border wall itself? Yeah, that, that's the Democrats have been, have been saying, look, the traditional way you negotiate these things is first you, you agree on the numbers and then everybody knows what numbers they have to work with. And then within those numbers for each of the 12 spending bills, you go in and you negotiate who, who gets what piece of the pie. And so the Democrats are saying, let's get let's hammer out the numbers for the Homeland Security bill, for the labor HHS bill, all the above. And then once we know what that is, we'll figure out how much is we can give to the wall. And so, you know, and I think any, everyone's basically on board with that. You know, the, I think the White House would prefer to say, OK, we're going to ensure this. We're going to lock in this amount of money for the wall before we agree to what the, you know, the Labor Department and HHS gets and all those other bills. But I think generally everybody's kind of on board now that we're going to get the allocations done and then we're going to see what they have to work with. And I think when you set the DHS allocation, for example, the Department of Homeland Security, that they'll have a pretty good idea of how much they can feasibly get to for the wall. Now, they're also talking about some, some you know, funding options outside of these regular allocations. They're talking about, for example, as we reported on Friday, they're saying, well, look, we've got all these new costs now for the Department of Veterans Affairs because we have this pr- private medical care program that is now under a law that was passed in 2018 that now the Appropriations Committee has to come up with the money for. So that's about $9 billion in this fiscal year. Maybe we can put some of that money, we can fund that kind of outside of the caps as sort of a, a, an emergency uh, appropriation. Uh, and, and that way we'll have more money for everything else. We don't have to jam all that in within the non-defense. Yeah, that was limits. an interesting attempt at compromise. We saw that thing from the House Democrats last week that right. a colleague Paul Krozak reported on. Basically, you're talking about exempting that that money for veterans from these spending caps. Or some of it, right. Now, there's there's already some exemptions, so there's precedent for it. They've already exempted $2.5 billion for the 2020 census yeah. because they need to hire thousands of people to, yeah. to ramp up and, and do that. Next year, there's there's been a you know a time-honored uh, exemption from the spending caps for the for uh, overseas, uh, uh, tr- for the troops overseas, right. the overseas contingency operations. So there's, you know, there's tens of billions of dollars in those accounts. So, the, you know, there, there's some discussion right now. And this came up in a meeting on Thursday between the leadership on the Hill and, and Mnuchin um, that, you know, maybe we take some of that money and we move the veterans, some, some of the veterans money kind of back off budget. Which would free up yeah. a lot of money for, for right. whatever they want to spend. It right. On. So maybe they find a little bit more. They can give a little more for the border security, a little more for labor HHS. And so that's one way that. But uh, we don't know if the White House likes this idea. No. I mean, originally, uh, historically, they have not. They, uh, they they put the kibosh on that idea back in July. And, uh, you know, their position has been you ought to live within your means um, right. for everything but the wall. 
<laughs> and 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 defense. You know, everything but the wall and defense. They say they ought to be have strict limits on on uh, how much you can spend. Yeah. Okay. So we'll see where that goes. Meanwhile, the the deadline is supposedly Wednesday for this for this allocations deal. Any guesses to whether they reach it? I'm sure they'll they'll reach some kind of informal understanding. I mean, historically, they don't you know do a big press conference and and say here's what we agreed to on the uh, on the conference allocations. They just kind of quietly have an understanding. Here are the sets of numbers we're going to use, and now let's go out and write those bills. Okay. So uh, you know maybe they do a press conference, maybe they don't. But one way or the other, I think they're probably going to end up with with a pretty uh, good understanding of what the numbers they have to work with, and then they'll go home for a week, and maybe the staff will be in touch over the, over the break, uh, and then they'll come back in uh, in early December and start working on it. Now, you know, some of the members of, of the committee are saying, um, you know, we may not be able to get all of the bills done in the amount of time that we have, so we'll do the best we can. We'll get as many done as we can, and maybe some of them have to be held over to uh, calendar year 2020 uh, in a CR, um, so, you know, we'll see what happens. Okay. And I just want to turn briefly, Pete, you had, you had a great piece in, in CQ's magazine out this week on the cost of Elizabeth Warren's, Warren's campaign plans. You actually tried to add up everything she had proposed and, and, and tell readers how much money we're actually talking about here and who pays the bill. In a sentence or two, what, what did you find? What's your bottom line here on, on what her plans add up to? Yeah, I mean, I was able to kind of tally up about $30 trillion, um, which is about uh, 11% of GDP uh, over the next decade. So uh, that is that's, a, that's over 10 years, but that's a huge amount. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's basically you're talking about the government, the federal government growing by, you know, by about taking up about another 11% of total U.S. economy, which is, you know, a huge uh, expansion of government by any measure. Uh, it would sort of bring the U.S. more in line with some of the European social democracies and Scandinavia and elsewhere. And uh, it's it's a massive, monumental kind of shift in thinking about how the U.S. government uh, ought to be run. And, you know, it's pretty fascinating. And she's really, she's put together a set of proposals that if you look at them holistically, as we tried to do uh, in the piece, uh, you know, it really does come, amount to thousands upon thousands of dollars in, in annual savings for a middle-class household for, you know, in, mm. in the U.S. And, you know, the cost of providing those benefits would be entirely paid for by people making, uh, you know, above $250,000. Now, there's some people in the 250000 to maybe four or $500,000 ballpark that might actually even come out ahead when you factor in all their health care savings and child care savings and college savings and so forth. But generally, if you're in the top, three to certainly top 1%, uh, you're going to be footing the bill under Warren's plans for a lot of free stuff for people who make less than you. And, you know, it, it can't now, you know, it could be a very seductive argument uh, out in on the campaign trail. And so, you know, we'll see what happens. She's not doing as well as she was a month ago because some of the details of these plans have come out, particularly on health care. Um, you know, but nonetheless, she's right up there at, at or near the top of the polls and, uh, you know, it's going to be really interesting whether she can sell uh, this type of kind of middle class utopia uh, to voters in, in, you know, in the hinterlands. And so far, you know, the early returns are encouraging, but not fabulous from her standpoint. Mm-hmm. So we'll see where it goes. But good or bad, it's, it's a massive increase in, in federal spending that we'd be looking at. Massive increase in federal spending, massive increase in federal taxes. Right. Uh, you know, and again, we'll be sort of more in line with uh, with some of the European uh, economies over there. But again, 
It's also interesting that even in some of these European uh, social democracies, Warren would be asking the very richest people in America, the wealthiest people, to shoulder uh, an enormous burden, even larger burden than in a lot of these these European countries, where the they're kind of the benefits. Uh, I mean, the burden is much more widespread. The ta- higher taxes start at much lower income levels. Some of the wealth taxes that we see over there start at, at much smaller values. Um, so there's kind of a more egalitarian approach to funding the kind of social safety net um, that I think Warren is looking for. That, uh, you know, she's basically saying uh, the entire middle class gets off scot-free. Everybody is going to be just coming off, uh, making out like a bandit under her plan. Whereas even in, say, Sweden or Denmark, uh, you know, the middle class is still paying a fair amount for the social services that they get. So it's just very interesting. It's a fascinating read, and I I commend the story in our CQ magazine to anyone interested in looking at a deep dive into all of the campaign pledges that Elizabeth Warren has has come up with here. We'll keep an eye on the campaign while we see if congressional leaders can get a spending deal this week, and CQ will be covering it all for you. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email at cqpodcast at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. My thanks again to Peter Cohn, our budget and tax editor, for joining me. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, David. And thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. We'll be back next week. Until then, you can stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. Tune in again next week.